0: you know this is a live show and it wouldn't be the 20th anniversary 20th second anniversary just feels like 20 years if look he's dying over there um if we didn't have technical glitches with our own special guest tonight trying to get on the show we've we've gone through things so we'll see what happens In the meantime, welcome one one and all, boys and girls, children of all ages, as I saw a smart child a second ago, um, to another exciting episode of Under the Dome. This is our second anniversary show, and (coughs) we're 20 minutes late trying to get this thing going. So I welcome you. My partner, Sean, who is technically challenged, is trying to uh, figure this out. And uh, our special guest, one of our special guests, our regular guest, Bob Rose is joining us tonight from beautiful downtown Pittsburgh. How's it doing tonight, uh, Bob? I'm real good.
1: I'm real good. And uh, like you said, Alan, I'm, I'm the less special of our special guests. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, it's an honor to be back with you guys, especially for such a uh, uh, such a big anniversary and such a big occasion.
0: Yeah, and you know things would never go off. Flawlessly on something like this. So once again, I apologize you all for for this this being so late. Uh, we were hoping to jump right in with Brian, but uh, he's having some issues just getting into the program. So he's trying a bunch of things, and as soon as he jumps in, we'll get started with him. In the meantime, Bob, there is there uh, was a little bit of Saints related news today. Uh, Saints fans should pay close attention to this. We saw the Saint Louis ah, Los Angeles Rams uh pay former Saint Brandon Cooks was that eighty or eight million dollars, uh, or eighty or eighty-eight million dollars uh for that contract. Oh look! Brian's here.
2: Hey. He shoots, he scores.
3: <laughs> That's crazy. Look, I've never done this.
0: Oh, That's all right. Hey, and unfortunately now, because we've had this going on for a little while, my poor, I don't have my my thing queued up for you. (laughs) Now I do. I'm not sure what that means, but I'll wing it. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Ah, do not, do not. Get away. He hangs it very high. Oh, man. Come on subside line oh, I got the
2: ball right in the middle of the 10 yard line you got to be kidding me for <laughs>
3: God cause
0: the pop of <laughs> the greatest saints call in history and I'm going to is even better than pigs flown the saints are going to the Super Bowl and party with the Lombardi because watching that game and going through all the misery that Saints fans have gone through all these years to have that game end the way it did was just so perfect. That is such a Saints ending. So we have you to thank for this incredible, incredible uh first playoff win, and everything else has been just line yap since. So welcome, Brian. Thanks for joining our show tonight. Thank
3: you. I, I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we got the link figured out.
0: Good deal. Good deal. And for those
2: who, who aren't aware, our guest tonight is Brian Milne, uh, former fullback, special teams uh, standout, former Penn state Nittany lion, uh, former national record holder in track and field, uh, number 40 in your programs, but on that day, number one in our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brian, I, I want to thank you very much for joining us on our, uh, our two year anniversary show. And, uh, thank you very much for that play that day. Uh, and as we tell all of our uh, our former players that we welcome into our show, thank you so much for taking this team from where it was to where it is. Uh, you were you were a huge part of that, uh, not only for that play, but for the year that you spent here. Uh, I, I, I feel somewhat of a, a personal connection with you. Not only is your birthday the day before mine. Uh, right. But you and I share something else in common. Uh, we're both uh, cancer survivors, and uh, that's right. That that's huge. Um, there, I would like to ask you a question, and uh, I, I'm not going to get into the the political, uh, introspective, uh, changing history and all of that. Can you tell me just exactly what it means to you personally? To be able to say that you played for Joe Paterno at Penn State.
3: Well, I mean, it means the world to me. You know, I don't think many people know that when I was 17, I had a grapefruit sized tumor on my heart. I had Hodgkin's disease. I had six months of chemotherapy. I did not play my senior year in high school. I was fighting for my life. While I was in the hospital, Coach Paterno called and said, Brian, we just want you to come to Penn State. Your scholarship is secure. It doesn't matter if you play football or not, just come to Penn State. Now who 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 in your right mind does that right now? I don't mm-hmm. think you know, there are some great coaches in the country, great coaches that have, you know, blessed players and helped players out. But for him to call me in the hospital on you know, I'm fighting for my life and say, just come to Penn State was uh, beyond words, incredible, incredible man.
2: I agree. Um, you know, stories like that nowadays seem almost like they're, they're not even talking about real people. It's like something out of the movies because it's so far removed from what you see today. And I think that that's both sad and tragic. Uh, and something when i was doing my research on you for this interview there was one thing one thought that went through my mind um what did it mean to you to be wearing the number of former heisman trophy uh winner john
3: Capaletti? well it, you know it's, uh, overwhelming uh however i think at that point i didn't you know, I just wanted to be a part of the team. You know, i just beaten cancer. I was still recovering, you know, and then I go to a D1 school like Penn State. And, you know, I was blessed with that number. Um, it was, uh, it's incredible. Um, you know, and the guys who worn it after me, I think they, uh, they should be well-deserving of it and they should, you know, respect it because John Capoletti was um, just unbelievably amazing
1: and the thing about that Penn state uh, football program, especially in those days, and Brian, I know you can attest to this uh you know the former players remained so close uh to the current players, and I, I think you just undersold yourself when you said you were just happy to be a part of the team i mean you were you were such an integral part, especially of that nineteen ninety four team uh, that went undefeated, won the Big Ten championship. Uh, and you, you scored three touchdowns in one of, the, one of if not the biggest, uh, Penn State comeback in, in the Joe Paterno era when you guys came from behind and beat Illinois and were able to hold on to, uh, to the top spot in the rankings. Uh, so, I mean, you truly did have a great career. You, you represented that 22 very well, my friend.
3: Well, thank you. I mean, if, if, you know, the people that are close to me, you know, they know I'm extremely humble. Um, you know, I play for the love of the game. I play for my teammates. I played for the guys around me. I played for my coaches. You know, the people who still follow me today, I still get things in the mail for time. And I send back to people, families all across the country. So I'm very blessed to have, you know, the teammates that I did. I'm very blessed to have the family I have now and the people still at Penn State, still at, you know, New Orleans, I have more contacts in New Orleans than I do in Cincinnati and I played in Cincinnati for three and a half years. So that's a testament to the people of New Orleans, you know, the coaching staff, the community, you know, it it was just a, I'm very, very humble and I've, I've never changed. And that's how I grew up and that's how I'm going to be. So, you know, I, I try to lift others up even now, you know, what I'm doing now, I try to lift others up and, and you know those around me, and make them better.
0: Well, Brian, that's point because um, you know you were originally drafted by the Colts in the fourth round. Um, they put you on way before this game. I guess they were trying to—I don't know—sneak on a practice squad or a that released by the team that drafted you, and yet. And all the kind of plans for you, what did they do?
3: You know, it, it was a weird time because, um, you know, going from Penn State to the Colts, being drafted in the fourth round, I was pretty confident mm-hmm. I'd make the team. Um, I thought I—I didn't get. I think you know, or you find out very quickly. If you're not playing in the preseason you're probably going to go and i think there was some talk about keeping more tight ends and maybe an h back tight end and letting me go it you know and then and then one day you go in the locker room and you don't get your equipment you see your running back coach and then you're gone you know and it's just the business so you know my agent said well they paid you very well for three weeks of work you know (laughs) Okay, that's, <laughs> yep. that's cool, but you know, no one likes being released, and it's part of the business. But you know, two days later, I was you know in my truck on my way to Cincinnati with a suitcase. So you know, that's the business part of it, which is can get really ugly. But you know, that's just part of it.
1: What's the biggest so, thing you miss about the professional game?
3: You know, it's funny you say that because I always enjoyed the Star Spangled Banner. And I enjoyed the flyovers, the the very start of the game. Um, You know, whoever was singing the Star Spangled Banner, or whoever was you know doing the flyovers, whether it be you know jet fighters or Hueys or whatever it was, I always enjoyed you know that part of the game. Um, And I usually did a little thing before the game. I would take one of the footballs and I would usually find a kid a little boy or a little girl who was, you know, with the family and I, you know, throw them a football. Not many people knew that, but, um, you know, before guys were given footballs after touchdowns, I was doing it before the game for the kids who, uh, who came early to the game.
0: Well, and then that is good. Um, then of course, after you finished with the Bengals, uh, you come to a team that, um, was three and 13, uh, you know, I, I believe you were in Seattle for a little while, weren't you? Right before you came to New Orleans.
3: Yeah, we had a, when I was with the Bengals, we had we were playing. I think the Panthers and uh, Corey Dillon ran into the back of me, and I, you know, tore my MCL. It wasn't a but it was enough for me not to play and just keep bashing the Bengals. Um, I wouldn't play injured. I wasn't going to play. They released me. I rehabbed it. I did some acceleration training with a friend of mine in Cincinnati, went out to Seattle, ran for Randy Mueller, who was a GM at the mm-hmm. time for the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. I ran a forty, and uh, he says, you're hired, let's go. So I spent eight weeks in Seattle, went to the playoffs, I got to play on Monday Night Football, which was a thrill <laughs> at Lambeau Field. So, you know, you know, if you look back, sometimes you think, well, some of those bad things are good things because I went from – a three and 13 team to a playoff team. I got to, you know, be coached under Mike Holmgren play on Monday night football. So it was, you know, everything, every, everything happened for a reason.
0: Yeah. And then you come to another three and 13 team with the saints. You come basically with Randy Mueller. Um, he had signed. Oh, I used to know this off the top of my head. I think it was eight players in two weeks. Uh, Cause we totally reshaped the roster after uh after the after Mike Dicka was let go, uh brought in yeah. a bunch of unknown players and you know uh, it's not an insult but you were basically an unknown player uh for most Saints fans and you came oh, in that the- wave and um, so I guess my question is what was it like to be with the Saints in that 2000 season because that was a really special season beyond the playoff win just. The way that defense had come about, uh, especially fans had no expectations. Uh, we knew Ricky Williams and we knew who Jeff Blake was, but, you know, Joe Horn was an unknown. Willie Jackson was an unknown. Uh, you know, a lot of these players that came to the team were unknowns. And the expectations were just Boy, I just hope they look better than they did under Mike Ditka. And you turned around and made a ten and six run, won a division, second division title in team history, and y'all get to the playoff game, play defending Super Bowl champion, and beat them. What was that ride like for you?
3: You know, it was a lot of it was just showing up and working hard. I me, mean, is mm-hmm. pretty simple. You know, I played with Jeff Flake when he was with the Bengals. Great guy, love him. Um, I got to know Ricky Williams. He actually gave me a ride home one day in this Lamborghini. I just didn't think I could fit the Lamborghini, but I did. You know, <laughs> you know, I think the world of Ricky Williams. Joe Horn, think the world of him. He was kind of crazy, but, you know, sometimes you need that on a team. You know, for some reason, he didn't want to get weighed in every week, so he got fined every week. So I like my money. I want to get fined, so I stepped on a scale. You know, more, <laughs> it's it's the good teams at least in my opinion stick together the better you know your teammates the better you the more you can count on them the better team you're going to have and i think that year we just kind of came together as a team and we you know we got to know each other a little better you know and sometimes you just have teams that just click but, you know we went, we went on that run that run and you know it was uh it was special
0: well, I, I'll tell you what, you uh, you just basically endeared yourself even more to Saints fans because if there's anything fans, especially in this city, love more than it's the guy who is just going to put your head down, grab your lunch pail, we're going to work, we're going to be a good team, we're just going to do what we need to do to yeah. be successful. And that's what the kind of players, the fans here yeah. really like, especially yeah. guys that, you know, feel like, hey, I got nothing to lose. I'm going to prove to you I belong in this league and I'm going to prove to you that I am a good player. And the fans will love you for that. And that's exactly what you guys did.
3: You know, know, even as a fan now, you know, it's not cheap to go to an NFL football game, let alone bring your wife and kids. You know, you got to take out a small mortgage (laughs) just to go and and get a pop and some popcorn. But, you know, I agree. You know, even on that one play on that punt, You know, Joe Paterno's in my head. Get downfield, get downfield. And, you know, Coach Paterno said, he said, you're never good enough to take a play off, you know, because you never know when that play is going to make the difference in the game. And that was the difference in the game. You know, it was a fair catch, but you never know what's going to happen. And it did happen. So, you know, it was the Penn State days. It was the hustle. It was, you know, Franco Harris going to the ball, the immaculate reception. Why does he run into that football? Because Joe Paterno was screaming in his ear for years, get to the football. That's what we were trained to do, you know. And and it, for me, it was simple: is you know, I don't care if he pair catches the ball, I'm sprinting down the field.
0: Well, thank God you did, uh, <laughs> and you know, so many people live for that moment, and you know, there are people who have gone their entire lives and didn't have that moment, a special moment like that. And I think you did. I really do. And it's for those exact reasons that you said, you know, Joe Paterno screaming in the ear, make the play. Don't take the play off. You never know what's going to happen. You battle and battle and battle and boom, something good happens. And that's exactly what happened with you guys. And with you, especially on that play, because that play doesn't happen. If you're not hustling down the field, um, if you're just taking the playoff, like, oh, he's fair catching. I'm a half-stepping all the way down. The play doesn't happen. So, right. yeah. thank you, Ryan. Oh, per, well, from all well, Saint fans, thank you.
3: I, we, you know, I love the city. I love the fans. It, great organization. You guys are great. You know, and it's, it's just what you're trained to do. It's, you know, if you believe, you have to believe, you know, and the guys that went to Penn State, you can ask any of them. We all believed in what we did. You know, and Coach Paterno was tough on us, but, you know, he, he always would say, you're, you're never good enough to take a playoff. You're never that good. You know, and that, and that stayed with me. That stayed with me. So, you know, if I'm remembered for anything, it's, it's being a guy who didn't take a playoff, worked hard, you know, and appreciated the people who appreciated him.
0: Well, Brian, you said you're staying in New Orleans now. Uh, what are you doing now?
3: Right now, um, well, I was a police officer t- for 12 years, and I just uh, retired, resigned from being a police officer, just outside of Cincinnati. Uh, seven of those years, I was on the SWAT team, so I was the guy who had the 70 pound ram and took down the door. Um, who?
2: You yeah. needed a ram.
3: <laughs> so, um, I just retired, basically resigned from being a police officer. Now, basically, what I do is I help kids uh, with the shot put and discus, and I coach um, offensive line for ninth graders for Archbishop Muller High School. In Cincinnati.
0: Bless you for, for for coaching ninth graders. I tell you
3: what.
0: <laughs> oh. Well, and I know
3: uh, Uh, Moeller's a pretty good school. Uh, My son goes to Moeller as well. He's a lineman. So uh, he's not a running back. He's a lineman. I always tell him he's like a bull in a china shop. There you go. um, (laughs) He just turned 16 in March and uh, he's 6'3", 295. Wow.
2: And And he just turned what?
3: (laughs) He, (laughs) He turned 16 in March and he's six three two ninety five. See, I
2: feel oh. raw because when I turned sixteen, I was five foot six and one oh,
3: hundred and forty two pounds, and I, I played you. fullback. When we go to <laughs> when we go to Chipotle, he gets two double chicken bowls. <laughs> yeah. Hey, oh, man.
0: You're, you're, yeah. starting like, you're starting to sound like it's starting like my life. Yeah, <laughs> my Uncle one time cooked a whole chicken just for me and a chicken <laughs> for the rest of his family. <laughs> absolutely, knock it out <laughs>
3: absolutely yeah yeah he's, uh, uh, he's a good Ryan, I, I know uh you and your
1: wife tammy are uh extremely active on social media too uh and uh your your son is your son's football team is doing a fundraiser for the upcoming season uh if, uh if you'd like you can tell our fans uh how they can participate
3: well i think we have some uh if you reach out to the school archbishop moeller in cincinnati there's some ads that you can put in our program. Um, it's pretty cost-effective. If you own a business or anything like that and you want to get a word out or anything like that, um, you can put some things in our program. Uh, just reach out to the school. It's Art Arch- Moeller High School in Cincinnati, Ohio. We appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Okay, so so I have the
2: ultimate question. Uh, you, you live in Cincinnati. You played in Cincinnati four years. Argu- for me anyway, arguably the defining play of your career you could say happened in New Orleans. Uh, so settle it once and for all. Who dat or who day?
3: Oh, oh who God. dat? <laughs> who dat? Oh, it'll never be a who
0: day. <laughs> it's a who dat. Absolutely. There you go. No-brainer. There you go. There you well,
2: go. well, see, I, I'm from West Monroe, Louisiana, and one of uh the the prides of our local high school played the vast majority of his career right there in Cincinnati and uh, Andrew Whitworth sure uh, absolutely. And, and I love the guy to death, support him all the way, but it, it's whodak
3: oh, absolutely, Hodak, and I'll tell you what I will never forget when that voodoo lady came down on the field with that snake with that oh snake. yeah. And I don't know what she did. I'm glad Mr. Benson, uh, you know, got through it, but um, <laughs> that was a uh, turning point, so you know, you know, Coach Payton, and- he's having some trouble. I think we should call her up again and, and maybe the deal. <laughs> I think that'd be a good idea to do.
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Uh, yeah. that, that was an unbelievable moment.
3: You're telling and-
0: me. And of course, you know, all of us here in New Orleans like, oh, that's just voodoo. But I'm sure the people around the world are like, what in the yeah. hell?
3: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was like, this better work or things are going to get a lot worse. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Believe crazy.
0: me, after after seeing some of the things I saw in that dome, yeah, that was, that was anything would help. Uh, New Orleans is the some- only
2: place in the world where a voodoo priestess can walk out on the field, and fans are like, okay,
3: let's see. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. And I never knew well, you could get a drive through daiquiri. Do they still have that?
0: Yes. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. That is As, awesome. long, awesome. <laughs> as long as the straw is not in the cup, it is legal. Really? You put the straw in the cup. It's not legal anymore, but you can go through the drive-through. I always love seeing people taking pictures with their phone. Like, there is a drive-through daiquiri here.
3: Oh, coming from a former cop. That's incredible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, so you really
3: know. To ask, Do you know why I pulled you over.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, during Mardi Gras time, if a cop pulls you over, you just hand him a cold one. Say, here, here you go. You want one? And <laughs> he'll probably let you go on your way.
3: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, had a cop tell me one time you're staggering.
2: I said you're pretty amazing looking too.
0: Uh, uh, I, I needed bail money after that. Uh,
2: I hear
3: you,
1: <laughs> Ryan, I uh, I know you still follow the Saints, uh, time, you know, time permitting, because uh, you've you've had, you have a crazy busy schedule. Uh, you mentioned. You mentioned the work ethic and how close your 2000 squad was. What kind of comparisons can you make uh, to the 2000 team uh, and to this group of young Saints uh, that have built primarily through the draft over the last couple of years?
3: Well, I I just think that you know sometimes the biggest enemy of the NFL is free agency and guys leaving. You know, if you look at some of the teams who've been quote unquote dynasties, your your Dallas Cowboys. 49ers now even look at look at the Patriots um you know I think if you can if you can create a squad to where you keep some players and you develop those players and all those players continue to grow with each other as men and they know their families and they know their wives and and they you know the closer I think you can get as a teammate you depend on that person you depend on them coming to practice you depend on them coming to work you know and And I think, you know, if you know one guy one year and he's gone the next year and then there's another guy replacing him and so on and so forth, owners have to understand that, you know, we might be the best athletes in the world, but we're still people. And the people Mm -hmm. and the human emotion behind great teams, great teams are always close to each other. They know each other. They know their wives. They know their kids. They know the good and the bad. I think your dynasties are going to be created when – owners and managers can overcome free agency.
0: I totally agree with that because, uh, you know, one of my favorite movies is Miracle, uh, the story of the 1980 hockey team. And that's exactly what he says in the, you know, the coach says in the, in the movie, it's not about getting the most talented team because talented teams still lose. It's about getting pieces that fit together personalities that blend and you get, you develop that family, that closeness. And when you get to that point, those are the teams that operate as a unit and they're the ones that win. And uh, I, I totally agree with you. If you can overcome free agency, get personalities and people that fit together and stay together, you develop a dynasty. You develop a strong team that can win. So, Agreed. You, you're exactly right. um sean did you have a question you started to say something earlier yeah,
2: i wanted i wanted to ask brian you know you you had a you're part of an elite fraternity you uh you're one of these guys that somewhere sometime you strapped on your first helmet and your first pair of cleats. i would imagine when you were pretty pretty young and you you dreamed the dream and you were able to achieve that. Um what what would you say would be your most treasured as a player? Be that Penn State, Cincinnati, New Orleans, Seattle. What what was what would be your most single treasured memory as a player in the NFL? Or no well, not in the NFL but
3: I mean
0: playing the game.
3: Yeah. That's 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 really tough. That's really tough. There's so many and there's So many memories, you know, it's, I guess the treasured memories would be the guys that I played with, you know, you know, you go to war with these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, man, that's hard. I mean, you know, we were in the Rose Bowl and Kajana Carter looked at Bucky Greeley at the center and said, this is our first offense play. And he goes, we're taking it to the end zone. And Bucky goes, I'll see you there. And we ran a sweep and he scored on the first play. You know, those are the treasured moments. The, you know, the fumble recoveries, the three touchdowns at Illinois. You know, it, it's, it's hard to put my finger on one thing. And we haven't even talked about track. I mean, throwing the discus. And, oh, we and will. I mean, I got to go to bed soon. It's 10 to 10. But anyway, um, you know, it's hard to put my finger on one thing. You know, and then, you know, you have my son. You know, look. You know those treasured moments him playing football. You know, one day in the car, we're going to practice. He looked at me. I'm like, "You okay, Connie? He's like, "You know what, Dad? I just want to hurt somebody today." I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. I get it. All right. Well, it's the little things. You know, when you look back on things, it's it's the it's not the big things. It's the people and the little things that that make make everything worth it. So, you no, know, it. You know, running down the first kickoff on Monday Night Football in Lambeau Field. You know, how many guys can say that, you know? It was just, you know, looking back, I've had a lot of great things happen. And uh, putting one my finger on it, that's kind of tough.
0: Well, those are all great memories. Um, One of the things I always hear about from former players is the one thing they miss more than anything else is, is the locker room, that closeness, that 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 family bond because you all go through the same thing together you all win together you all lose together and you even though you're together technically for four months or five months you're really together a lot longer than that during the off season and stuff you still get in touch with people but for that for the season just that that bond that you develop with with players you're close with the ones you talked about you know you got to ride ricky williams lamborghini joe horn's a little crazy you enjoyed that though i mean you know just that that whole that feeling and yeah that's something i would miss a lot if i got to play in the nfl that would be what i would enjoy more than anything else the games are great but just being with those people
2: that's that's yeah it's not very often that anybody in any given field is able to say that they were able to be a part of the very elitist of the elite at what they do. And and that's, to me, that's what defines an NFL player is you are the very best of the very best. And nowadays that's even more prevalent than it was back, like when I was coming up. Because there's so many more opportunities and there's so many more players that are getting such better training and, and what have you to to get the possibility of maybe going on to the next level. Uh, I believe that the answers that you gave to the questions tonight, Brian, give people an idea of how genuinely awesome that you are, not only as a player, not only as uh, a... <laughs> as someone that holds a special spot in the heart of Saints fans everywhere, but uh, also as a man, and I commend you on that.
3: Well, and, I, I appreciate that. You know, it's,
0: and yeah, Sean I'm has very
3: humble and very lucky to do some of the things I've done. Uh, I still have the football I recovered. Um, I still have the football when I scored a touchdown uh, against the Rams in St. Louis. So, you know – those are the memories I cherish, and those are the memories I, you know, I I share with my son, and you know, even my ninth graders, you know, a couple of them said they didn't know who Joe Paterno was, <laughs> and uh, that's blasphemy. I said uh-huh. that's going to change. You all yes. know who Joe Paterno is. Absolutely. That is
2: absolute blasphemy. Yeah. Oh. Well,
3: agreed. You know, Sean, so these are fourteen-year-olds, so uh, that's going to change. <laughs>
0: well. Sean Sean uh, said all those nice things for another reason too. He has a ticket he needs to get fixed, and uh, if you know any cops in the West Monroe area, please drop a line, you know, because his wife is all over for that. So
3: actually, one of one of my one of my friends, he's a he's a lieutenant down there. I forget where. I think it's in New Orleans, but uh, oh, I forget I forget which district. But I I can make some phone calls. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we're gonna write this you, down you here. You, yeah.
3: you know, there's a great oh, way to the police is just not break the law.
0: Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. I've,
2: I've heard that. I've never actually tested that theory though. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah absolutely. It's
2: it,
1: it, it, it's always been nice, you know. Brian I've kind of followed your career, uh, you know, certainly from a track and field aspect too. Uh, and you know the things that you were saying about it being it being a fraternity and you know, together, regardless of generations. You know, if you permit me to embarrass you a little bit, uh, you know, you were, as you know, uh, for years and years and yet for multiple decades, uh, the Pennsylvania State record holder in both the shot put and the discus. And it wouldn't be unusual for you to come back. Uh, to the PA State Championships every year uh, held in Shippensburg uh, because we had a couple members of our track team that would qualify as throwers. And, you know, you read through the program and see your name and see the distances and especially the boys, uh, boys throwers who could obviously relate to it. He threw what? Yeah. Yeah. and when 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 your uh, when, when your record was PA and national record was finally broken uh, by Jordan uh, from Knock High School in 2016 or 17, yeah. uh, you know you were you were such a gentleman, and it was it was literally like watching the passing of a torch, uh, you know, between between yeah I mean, you know, two kindred spirits. So I mean, you truly take what you say to heart, you know, not only for, uh, from the football field but from the track aspect as well. Uh, and yeah, as young as young players or young athletes, or someone who coached young athletes, that's truly heartwarming to see.
0: Well,
3: I appreciate that. I was just hoping. I I, I was kind of upset that I wasn't there to see it happen. I and mean, you know, that's that's a big throw. So I, you know, I congratulated him. You know, records are made to be broken. So you know, I know what I did. It was a big throw. So, but for him to beat it by a foot or whatever he did was. Was awesome, so I I congratulated him right away. I was I was just kind of bummed I wasn't there to see it. So that'd have been cool. That'd have been really
0: cool. Just remember, when whenever you set a record, you become the measuring stick for all future record breakers. So that's that's what you can always take with you when it comes to that.
3: Very true. Very true.
1: I tell you what, it has to warm your heart too to see, uh, you know, see one, of the, you know, the New Orleans, the Sean Payton offense being one of the few in the league uh, that still utilized the fullback position. Uh, you know, given what your skill set was personally, I'd have loved to see you in a Sean Payton offense. Uh, you know, how do you feel you, that your skill set would have fit in or compared to Zach Line or uh, or John Kuhn?
3: I think it would have been okay. You know, it's. Uh... It's, it's hard anymore because so many of these offenses are going to, uh, you know, get, they got rid of the fullback or they're doing RPOs or, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, even at that level, you have to understand who your players are and what they're good at. They're all talented. That's fine. But on a level playing field, you still have to understand who you have and what you're going to do with them. Those are the great things. You know, you wouldn't have Tom Brady punt football. You know, that's not what he does. Um, but you know, I think I fit in real well, I think I fit in real well with coach Payton's offense. So, you know,
0: well, I, I tell do you, people,
3: do you think that fullbacks are going to become,
2: uh, just a vestige of the past? If, if the, if things in the offenses in the national football league continue to progress and develop the way that they have is fullback just going to be something that's virtually
3: eliminated. I don't think so, but that's just my opinion. I mean, if you look at your great teams, they have some type of H back or fullback, you know, you have to, you know, especially in the league, you can't have, you can't, you have to have a running game. You have to have somebody that, you know, moves the ball four or five yards ish. I I mean, I don't think it's going to become extinct, but you know, what do I know? I'm just a fullback from Pennsylvania. So,
0: You know, a lot of people, when you tell them, because I've been watching football for a long, long time. And, you know, you mentioned Franco Harris. I remember when Franco Harris was a rookie. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize that early in football in the 1970s, the fullback was the primary ball carrier. The tailback or the running back or halfback, they used to call them back then, They were kind of the specialists, but the fullback did all the heavy work. You look at the Larry Zonkas, Jim Brown, you know, those kind of players. um, Those were some of the most famous fullbacks of the era. So, yeah, I I agree with you. It kind of bothers me. The fullback is kind of vanishing from the NFL today because so many people want to copy one another and go to a single back or, you know, just have a, a pass catching running back. You know, sometimes you like to see those big guys come in there and just plow through people. You know, the um, – oh, I can't think of the guy now from the from the uh, Buccaneers um, from a cool. few years ago. All-Star. All-Star,
3: All-star.
0: All-star. Yeah. 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 You know. Yeah, I know yeah. Mark. Yeah, Mark. Um, and then, you know, in the 80s, Tom Rathman with oh, the Forty no, ers Yeah, so, you know, y- you need that kind of fullback. So, yeah, we need those big guys still in there. Well, I
3: appreciate it. I appreciate it.
0: But
2: you, there were a lot of times last year when I kind of wished that old number forty was uh, leading Kamara around that corner.
3: Oh, well, I hear <laughs> you. I hear you. But yeah, I I hope they don't. You know, as a fullback, you always want to see other fullbacks do well. You know, but you look at what Dallas Dallas is doing with Ezekiel Elliott and the one back sets, and you know, you never know. But I think sometimes it just goes in in cycles. You know, yeah. it depends on who's who has the hottest offense out, and who you know the talk, and oh, this is great, and RPOs, and you know, college is all RPOs now, and you know, mm. so you know, who knows?
0: <laughs> how, um, do you, how
3: do you
1: think New Orleans is going to fare in those first four games? Uh, you yeah, know, Mark Ingram is uh, is going to be suspended uh, yeah, for the PED violation. Uh, can you see? Can you see Kamara getting the bulk of the carries, or do you see, see Coach Peyton continuing to divide those carries up, uh, like you did with uh, Ingram and Kamara in the backfield?
3: Yeah, it's hard to say. You know, in those situations, you know, unless you're in the program and you understand where those guys are at and how comfortable the coaches are with them, it's hard to say. I, w- I would think you'd would, you'd would want to maybe. Okay, this is my guy for the next four games, but really, at that point, with those distractions, you really have to put put the burden on your defense to carry you through those through those games because you lose a guy like him and man that's that's rough you're you're you really don't have any continuity, you lose a key player like that, and that that you really have to depend on your defense to get you through those games.
1: Now, you guys, uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, you guys in 2000, you lost Ricky Williams down the stretch, too. Uh, so you could kind of relate, uh, you know, with what uh, with what this Saints team is going to start the season with. Only you guys ha- had to do it without Ricky at the tail end in your playoff run. Uh, you know, what was your mentality in the locker room uh, when you realized, you know, uh, Ricky isn't going to be available for the playoffs?
3: Well, you know, I think. I think any guy will agree with me when you know a guy goes down. You hope the the guy behind him is ready, you know, and that's all you can you can do. It's you know, the the machine does not stop. You know, even at Penn State, when someone got hurt, we moved the drill. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. You know, if someone got a cramp or someone got had to get out of a drill, the drill just moved. The team didn't stop. You know, so you know, when we didn't have him, we just it was. It was. That's when you think of it as like his business. You know, we got to get another guy in here. We pray that he's prepared. You know, and we we want to win. We just keep going. You, you, can't, stop. you
0: can't stop. Absolutely, absolutely. I've always felt um, like a, a
2: professional football team. It's not always. <laughs> it's not going to be the breeze or the 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 Ingram or the Thomas or the. Cam Jordan or the Marshawn it's going to be the guys behind them their their backups the the depth that determines just exactly how far the team goes or or how effective the team was going to be
3: oh I agree I agree you know even at my level you know coaching ninth graders and being part of varsity staff you know so much is one with the offense and defensive line Mm -hmm. you know if if you know, look at and I keep coming back to Tom Brady and the Patriots. I guarantee you those guys are like, you let anybody touch Tom Brady, you're in trouble. We're going to have a problem. You know, yeah. if you have a if you have a if if I were a GM or an owner, I'd dump all my money in the offensive defensive line. All mm-hmm. of it. I'd they'd be the highest players on the team and then followed by your tight ends, your fullbacks, and your linebackers, then your skill positions.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I was going to talk about depth. You know, in your game, in that playoff game, Joe Horn goes down second or third play. Willie Jackson comes in and steps up and he catches three touchdown passes. Uh, we're not in a position to win that game if Willie Jackson doesn't step up and make that play. So, once again, you know, it's about depth, it's about next man up who is going to make the play. Uh, and that whole game. Um, Robert Wilson caught the first touchdown pass. You recover the muff uh, pump from Hakeem. I mean, it, it's 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 not the stars that make the plays. It's the guys that you don't expect because everyone knows about the stars. They're ready for the stars. It's the guys that you don't expect who have to make the plays, and that's the difference between winning and losing. And you know that goes right to your point, and I totally agree with you about. Uh, your offensive and defensive line, you you have to win in the trenches at any level of football to win anything. Um if your offensive line isn't any good, I mean look at Archie Manning, the guy right here, you know, he struggled most of the Saints' career because his offensive line wasn't very good. He was a great quarterback, but his offensive line was not. Um you know, the Saints have had trouble making the playoffs because their defensive line hasn't been that good. It's better. But in a lot of those years, or 79 years, it was Cam Jordan and a whole lot of nothing. Uh, So, you know, that's what makes you a winner. That's how you win. Yeah. Well, Brian, we thank you for joining us tonight. Um, I know it's uh, 10.05. Uh, uh, you probably got a busy day again tomorrow. Um, When do you guys start practice for football at the high school, I mean? Oh, I'm on delay. Great.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's the sensors. Uh, It's been a pleasure talking to you guys.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you.
2: okay we're we're dealing with a little bit of a delay. this is nothing yeah. uh, okay i i I just i I'd like to echo what Alan said. Thank you so much not only for your service to the team that that we live and breathe uh thank you so much for joining us and celebrating our two year anniversary with us uh and thank you will thank you for being a part of our show tonight buddy
3: that's awesome. <laughs> Congratulations Thanks. on your anniversary. That's awesome.
0: Thank, Thank you, very much. you guys so are,
3: much. Thank uh, you. You guys are my first and uh, first podcast ever, so I know I have <laughs> my uh, the camera on my phone, and I've, I've uh, had a uh, schooling on uh, cell phones. So Great. excellent. That's
0: okay. That's okay. Well, we're all we're all technologically challenged around here. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: anytime yeah. that you have anything that, that you need to get out there, anytime. That you just feel like uh putting yourself out there, you've always got a place to do it with us sir
3: oh that's that's awesome thank you
2: uh I, personally, i want to say uh you're an inspiration uh, not only as, as a as a player but as a cancer survivor and as a man and I thank you very much for being a part of our uh our very special night tonight
3: well it's it's been a it's been a great talk I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can get on again. And uh, what a cutie! And, uh, Thank you. Go- <laughs> <laughs> Brian, uh, can
2: is there any way that our followers can follow you as well, like uh, social media, or what have you? Um,
3: well, I recently joined Twitter, so I'm um, on Twitter. I think it's I think female tutu. Um, I'm on Facebook. Uh, just my name. And that's it. That's all I do. Well, I'm not very good social media because, like, today, for instance, I trained a kid in the distance from 11.30 to 12.30. Then I have another kid, 1.30 to 2.30. Then I trained a kid from 4 to 5. Then I had practice from 5 days.
0: So, <laughs> Who? That's a busy day.
3: But yeah, everyone's welcome. Twenty two, I think. Yeah, it's a busy day. So but yeah, I'm on Twitter, but you know. There you go. There you go. Well
2: uh well, Bob, uh is this the first of a two part series? Did I understand that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry.
1: Sorry about the um, the mini distraction, fellas. Uh, But, you know, Brian, if you're still up to it, we'd love to get you on my show uh, tomorrow evening. uh, The Bayou Blitz uh, for for a follow up, uh, you know, kind of kind of part two of your first ever podcast. Uh, But it was it it was truly an honor to get you on tonight. Uh, You know, learn, learn a little bit. Uh, It's funny. You and I grew up an hour from each other uh we went to penn state like you know, a year apart from each other and you know, like i said i followed followed your track and field career uh but you know you, your your personal story has been an inspiration to me as well uh and i gotta you know tell you like i said you made a you made an impact on the uh on the throwers and the track and field athletes at west allegheny high school as well oh well thank you i i you
3: know I loved track, and fortunately, I couldn't do both for uh, that amount of time. So, you know, not many people have the, the decision of either go to the 96 Olympics or go to the 96 NFL draft. So, uh, wow. you know, I chose the draft, and I think I made the right decision. To... I never got back around to trying for the Olympics again. At least now I can hope, you know, I can and I love coaching Sean uh, Discus for Moeller. So, appreciate That's it. Great.
0: That's great. Thank you, Brian, again for joining us. And, uh, you know, we'll reach out to you another time because we'd love to have you back on the show. And uh, when you have a obviously football season will be busy for you, but we'd love to get you one week during football season just to get your thoughts on – what's going on in the NFL and what's going on in your life and so forth. So uh, we'll be glad to reach out to you again if you're available. Yeah.
3: That'd be great. Looking forward to it.
0: All right. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it.
3: All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. You too. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. Have a good evening.
0: You too. You too, Brian. Hi, Bob. We were gonna talk about right before Brian joined us, about um Brandon Cooks's contract, his eighty-eight or eighty million dollar contract. Um how do you think first off, do you think it's a good deal for the Rams? Secondly, uh my concern is, you know, Michael Thomas is going to be um in that final year of his contract after this season, I believe, how do you think this is gonna affect Michael Thomas?
1: Um uh- yeah. To answer part A of your question, no, I don't think it's a good move for the Rams. Yeah. Uh I was a big Brandon Cooks fan as a player, you know, when he was here in New Orleans. Yeah, he mm-hmm. does bring a special skill set to an offense. Uh and and he is gonna be a home run threat and probably flirt with, if not go over a thousand yards, uh, you know, with that interesting cast of characters now that the Rams have in that locker room. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, having said that, they just they just paid him five years, either 80, $88 million, uh, like you said, Alan. Uh, And, you know, obviously with this, you know, today's NFL, he may not get paid that full 88. But the point is, he just got top dollar. And, you know, Mm -hmm. top dollar for an NFL top wide receiver. Guys, is he an NFL top wide receiver? Is he among the top three, five wideouts? No, of course not. And what I guarantee you that caused in new orleans and probably ripples throughout the entire nfl that caused the saints front office to drop their jaws and say oh no and that caused michael thomas and his agent and his people to be grinning ear to ear and probably you know continue to do so for hours michael thomas is one of those top five top three wide receivers and he's going to be looking at you know probably six you know a max deal you know six years around a hundred million dollars uh, probably a bunch, bunch of that, a high percentage guaranteed. Uh, and I think you're right. I think after this season, the saints will have an option, you know, that fifth year rookie option or however that works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the time is closer. The time is very close to the team having to make a decision on Michael Thomas. Do we want to pay him like an Antonio Brown, like a Julio Jones? Uh, yeah and if if you ignore the dollar figures and the salary cap ramifications, Michael Thomas deserves to get paid among the top wide receivers, but as a Saints fan, it has to it has to worry you, oh my god, are we going to lose? Are we not going to be able to afford to pay one of the top uh one of the top offensive weapons in the league?
2: I don't yeah. think that they're going to have any choice but to pay him mm-hmm. that way. Uh because if if the Saints don't, there's going to be a line of people a mile long sure. that are more than happy to extend an invitation and throw a, mm-hmm. a mountain of money at him.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we were lucky with a guy like uh, with Marcus Colston because people viewed him kind of as a product of the system. So they didn't feel like they had to pay him. But Michael Thomas is a receiver that will prosper in any system. Mm-hmm. And we are seeing this is why, more than the you know, closed mouths don't get fed kind of stuff, this is why they moved Brandon Cooks because they knew that Cooks was going to be looking for this kind of money. The Rams gave it to him, the Patriots are unwilling to give it to him, but the Rams gave it to him, and that does set the bar because the Saints realized Michael Thomas, Brandon Cooks because Michael Thomas has everything that you're looking for in a number one receiver, uh, Brandon Cooks does not. But Brandon Cooks just got paid like a number one receiver. So, yeah, it's I, you know, a lot of people were laughing at it. Uh, the contract, I went shit, you know, because <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean it. It and like you, he's gonna be a hundred million, hundred million dollar receiver. How does that play out? Well, I mean. You know, we still don't have a future for Breeze yet. Um, if Breeze can play a couple more seasons, you're still looking at okay, now we gotta pay Thomas while Breeze is still here. So, you know, it's
2: and shortly thereafter, shortly thereafter comes Camara, Lattimore. Yep. Uh and yep. Uh, down along the line you're gonna have Rankins possibly I uh well
0: you got Rankins and Lattimore at the same time you're gonna have Pete next year um you know Michael Thomas year after that you know uh it's it's a lot it's you know then Sheldon Rankins um you know there's a lot there's a lot at play here and um, yeah the NFL only allows you to pay so many players top dollar. And then the bulk of your roster needs to get paid rookie contracts and undrafted free agent contracts. You can't afford to spend a lot of money. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I know we're all excited. The season's coming up and everything else like that, but the dollars and cents do make an impact. And, you know, that's something you've got to look at. So our window, I don't want to say is going to close rapidly, but. You know, we're going to have to start making some championship runs and get some mileage out of some of these players while they're still under cheap mm-hmm. rookie contracts. So it's oh, just- sure.
1: You, you absolutely have to make your move right now. Uh, but there, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a couple things that stand out to me. First of all, Sean, I absolutely agree with you. you know, Michael Thomas is one of those players, unless he seriously uh, regresses, and I, I, none of us see that happening, uh, that I, I agree with you that he's one of those players. You have to pay him. You have to. Uh same with Lattimore, yeah, you know, same with likely Camara uh and Ramcheck. You know, those are the those are staples of your franchise. Um and you know, Brian, Brian Milne said it perfectly tonight, uh, you know, when he said free agency is not how you build a team, uh, at least for the for long-term success. Yeah, you, know, you build it through the draft. So yeah, there's plus there's pros and cons to this. The con, of course, is if you build properly through the draft, like you said, Alan, all these contracts are going to come up at the same time and you're going to have some difficult decisions to make. Mm -hmm. But that's also why we see the Saints and other teams draft players and and double up on uh, drafting players at positions every single year. So that way, when they do have to make a free agency decision, they can turn to a recent draft pick and they can have the conversation amongst themselves. Well, hey. You know, has player X that we just drafted last year, has he progressed enough where we can let player Y go? In other words, uh, to put names to faces, uh, we can afford to let Kenny Vaccaro test the free agent market because we've drafted Von Bell and Marcus Williams in the last two years mm-hmm. and exactly. that kind of thing. Um yeah, you know, so will the Saints lose some of the play, you know, a couple of the players that we just named off, you know, Rankins, Kamara, et cetera, et cetera? Odds are that, yeah, you know, we yeah. won't see one or two of those players in Saints uniforms for the duration of their career. Uh, but also a positive thing to remember, and I think Sean, you and I just talked about this a couple weeks ago, Breeze isn't going to play forever. Chances are that the Saints are going to draft his report placement be it a first or second it's going to be a draft pick more likely than not draft picks are going to get paid a lower than what breeze is getting paid now so suddenly when drew decides to hang them up as sad as we will all be if you're going to look at that the positive aspect of that is all of a sudden you now have about 20 million dollars or so 15 or 20 million dollars a free salary cap space. What do you do when mm-hmm. you turn that around? you lure right. a free, a big name free agent from somewhere else. You pay from within if those players are going or, uh, you know, have built into your success. So you know, it, just like anything else, there's pros and cons that I can make out of it. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be crying in my beer yet, Saints fans, you know, saying, oh, we're going to lose Michael Thomas or we're going to lose all these guys, uh, like you pointed out, Alan uh, and Sean. Uh, are we going to keep all of them? Absolutely not. Uh, but I, I wouldn't go thinking, oh, they have to win now or else either.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. With you. I think the way this, this – the, the, I'll let you go in a second, Sean. I'm sorry. But uh, I think the way that it's structured right now, next year they're not going to draft a quarterback, that, that Drew's future, but they will be looking the following year uh, because that money – that they would have to pay for a free agent quarterback is going to go to a player like uh, Michael Thomas. Um, so they're going to have to get some rookie involved in there, and I think you can only do that getting a player in the first round. You know, you're going to have to go up and go get him again in the yeah. top, you know, top half of the draft, just like you did with uh, with Davenport this year. So, I'm sorry, Sean, go ahead.
2: <laughs> no, what I was going to say. Uh- Yet another aspect of this is you see the steady progression of Thomas in this offense and where his, his game, the the new level that he's taking his game to. And you think about the fact that odds are probably within the next three to five years Drew Brees will no longer be in uniform for the New Orleans Saints. But as as Bob alluded to, you're going to have that capital to invest in your next guy, but also to invest in Michael Thomas and his ability that Breeze has helped him to achieve. That's going to be what uh, one of the things that carries this offense once there is no Breeze. Because as Alan, Alan pointed out a few moments ago, Thomas is going to thrive in any offense with any quarterback. And – I think it goes without saying that up until last year this offense was only going to do what it what <laughs> Drew Brees led it to do. Now that's nothing against Mark Ingram, uh any of the other guy any of the other tools or weapons that this offense has amassed over the years. But this offense goes through Drew Brees, and I don't think that there's any any shame in that whatsoever he is the franchise but that's going to change and when that changes there there's going to and i hate using this term but the new face of the franchise or the new face of the offense anyway uh is going to have to emerge and you know in arizona you you've got larry fitzgerald Pittsburgh has Antonio Brown. Uh, You know, Michael Thomas could very easily, because I'll be honest with you, uh, as great as Alvin Kamara is, I have a hard time seeing an offense in the modern era, seeing a running back being the face of an offense. It it hasn't... uh, the, I think that the closest that, that has come recently has been Le'Veon Bell. Uh but I, I don't see a Sean Payton offense operating through a running back.
1: No. Um and yeah, I think something else. Uh as as Sean and Mickey Loomis and Jeff Ireland have rebuilt uh sorry, retold uh yeah, this Saints team, uh yeah, Brian pointed out if he was the general manager, he would build on both lines out. And that's kind of what we've seen them do. I mean, you had your veteran quarterback in place and you obviously had to protect him. Uh, but that yeah, that was a two-pronged strategy. Yes, you're protecting your veteran quarterback, but you're also setting the foundation for the guy that's going to be his eventual replacement. Uh, in all likelihood, like you said, Alan, in all likelihood, a, a, a draft pick, a high draft pick that you're going to want to have protect and give young weapons around Kamara, mike thomas traquan smith mm-hmm. assuming he works out and then you look at the front line you have Ramchek, uh you have you know larry warford and Andres pete and uh teron armstead are all younger than 29 years old so they're all yep. just you know e- either just coming into their prime or have not even having hit their prime yet so in Two years, if we're going to put a number on it. In two years, when you have to get a new young quarterback in, you already have an established, experienced offense that can help him along as opposed to the way we have seen it where you have your veteran Hall of Fame quarterback helping the young guys along. It's it's going to be the flip-flop of the coin, but I like the strategy that they're going with.
0: Hey, you know, part we talked about the 2000 season earlier with Brian. You know, people forget you had Willie Roe. Kyle Turley, Chris Nioli, um uh Wally Williams and uh uh Kiff Fontno, thank you. Uh, from Lafayette Went to Texas a and <laughs> M. Fontno. You had that was a solid offensive line that Aaron Brooks got to step in behind. And that helped him out tremendously yeah. to kind of get him up to speed. So you didn't have that huge drop off when uh when Jeff Blake went down in an injury. So yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you on that.
1: Yeah, and like you said, Sean, uh, you know, if you're going to make comparisons to the 2000 season, you went into that playoff game, you were without Jeff Blake, you were without Ricky Williams, and you lost Joe Horn uh, you know, uh, before before anybody uh, before everybody's butts hit the seat. You lose mm-hmm. three players like that, and you still beat the greatest show on turf. How'd that happen? It happened because of your complimentary players and because you were stronger on both lines, you beat them up and that's what this saints team is set to do. So, uh, you know, to opponents as well.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and that was dead serious of, of all the radio calls that Jim Henderson radio call of <laughs> Hakeem drops the ball. That is still the greatest radio call I've ever heard him do Ever. You know, pigs have flown, uh Saints are going to the Super Bowl, that was great. Yep. The two thousand, I mean the two thousand and six season when we beat um Philadelphia, that was mm-hmm. exciting too. But that game was kinda in hand. We just needed to get that one first down to kind of seal the game. Um, so it was it wasn't that just unbelievable joy because is it, that that clip. Um the emotion all the saints fans were feeling that exact emotion and when he said there's a god after all i mean that's (laughs) that's exactly how you felt because you're like how much pestilence how much suffering can we deal with you can't tell me we're going to lose another one this way and you don't you you win because they they make the mistake so it was it was unbelievable Uh, I'll never forget where I was for that game. That's the only playoff game. No, I take that back. I missed a couple other playoff games early in the season at home, the 87 and and 1991 playoff games I was not at. But the 2000, my daughter, my youngest daughter, was christened um, that same day. So we watched that playoff game from my parents' house. And my dad was about to throw me out because I was so angry. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you need to get over this. You know, we just came back from church. And you're cursed. Yeah, that was not a good. One. Well, we um, we
2: want to thank Bob for joining us tonight, as always. Uh, Bob, let her remind everyone how they can uh, follow you and plug uh, tomorrow night if you would want.
1: Well, um, and you guys, I appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on as always, uh, and a happy happiest anniversary to you both. Uh, and you know, let's let's throw a bunch more years on the fire here. Uh, but it, 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 I truly feel like a member of your family, and I yeah I love you both for that, uh, Mr. Pinto. I know you're tuning in, and you're a big part of this too. And uh, Joel Smith and Fan First Productions, there I paid your bills for you. Thank um, you. And, uh, uh, you know, I love you guys, too. And you guys are a big part of what I do. Uh, But, uh, but yeah, you can follow me. I have a Facebook account under Bob Rose. Uh, I work, uh, publish my articles through the Canal Street Chronicles. uh, Also can be found on Facebook and Twitter as well. Canal Street Chronicles can be followed at St. C.S.C. And my Twitter handle is at Bobby R. 2613. Uh, and as for my show, my Wednesday night podcast by you blitz, uh, will be coming on tomorrow evening at nine Eastern time, eight central time. Uh, we're going to have kind of a, kind of a part two, uh, yeah. And under the dome anniversary hangover show. Uh, and we're going (laughs) to, we're going (laughs) to, I, I, I'm that friend that after the big party and everybody's laying around hung over, I'm that friend, come on, come on, let's get up. Let's do it again. Um, there you go. <laughs>
2: Actually, I can see that.
1: I, I, I was that friend, sadly. Um, but but uh, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have Brian Milne on. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, anxious to pick his brain. Continue to pick his brain. He gave us some great stuff tonight. Uh, and yeah, you know, Sean and or Alan, I'm hoping that you're. Uh, I know you're clearing some stuff out. I'm hoping that you guys will be able to join us too uh and make it Absolutely. a party again alan already shot down you know sh- said no uh but we'll work on him tomorrow uh but yeah, yeah <laughs> uh definitely tune into the bayou blitz tomorrow um Absolutely. and yeah i'm looking forward to that show we uh
2: we want to invite oh. everyone to subscribe to us on itunes and youtube at under the dome podcast um i i Real quickly, uh, I I posted something on our Facebook page yesterday saying thank yous, and I'm not gonna rehash that. But there was uh, one or two on there that I, I, one or two that I didn't thank. Uh, uh, Professor Nick Harrison, you uh, you put me in this position, brother. Um, my brother from another mother. Uh, you opened a door and allowed me to walk through and made me believe that I belonged in the room. And uh, just for Nick, I'm going to do this.
3: Woo!
2: Uh, okay, I can't do Rick Ric Flair, but anyway. Uh, some figures I... Shut up, Bob. Some figures <laughs> I wanted to throw at you guys. Uh, 106 shows. 58 guests. Well, as of tonight, four former New Orleans Saints players, two New Orleans Saints beat writers, uh, one active roster player. Thank you, Arthur. 1,700 Facebook followers, 175 subscribers on uh, YouTube, and uh, two of the most awesome years that I could have possibly hoped for. And due in large part, my biggest thank you of the night, I wanna say thank you to my partner in crime, man. Uh none of this happens without you sitting in the driver's seat. Uh I'm so glad that uh that we started this together and I I hope we continue to uh wide the wide wide ride the train for a, a little bit longer more.
0: Uh, I hey hate- I, you know, thank y'all. Thank you for having me on this show. I mean, I'm following your lead. I just tell stories, uh, things that happen, you know, like I always tell people, I had memories of Saints games. Like most people remember traffic accidents and natural disasters. <laughs> <laughs> so I just enjoy telling these stories again because. With the success the Saints have had, and I'm even counting the seven or nine years of success. With the, the these successes we've had with Drew Brees and so forth, it makes these stories so much more fun to tell because you're not telling it from the standpoint of, you "Well, know, we never won. We never did anything. Why are we even talking about the Saints? Because they're perennial losers. Well, we don't have to say that. Uh, that's what I was trying to get across to Brian tonight was, you know, the fact that he made that play, to him, it, it's a play. Yes, it's special, but, you know, it's a play in a career. For Saints fans, it was such a burden lifted off of us to be the only team you didn't have to say has never won a playoff game and has always found ways to lose playoff game, to win a game that way. And then it's the same with the Super Bowl here to win a Super Bowl where you never have to say the Saints have never won a Super Bowl. You've done it. So, you know, that's what makes all these old stories from the past and talking about these old, old players and so much fun to do because you can look at it with a lot of joy now. You know, yeah, we went through a lot of hard times. I built up the scar tissue. You know, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm tough, you know, and – I can enjoy this because look at the crap I had to go through just to get here, you know, and and it's just it's fun, and I'm I'm glad you guys let me uh, tell these kind of stories because my wife's sick of hearing them. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah.
2: I want to I want also, as Bob alluded to, John Pinto, Joel Smith, uh, our our uh, our chat room security guard Jerry Pork. Uh, all the people that hang out on our live chat, I I try to be as active as I can and and still participate in the show. Uh, But, you know, uh, uh, we are nothing without you guys being here and, uh, and being a part of what we do. And, you know, I worked three years before we actually went on the air for uh developing the concept that would turn into under the dome actually truth be told uh under the dome began as a uh a series of articles on profootballspot.com but that that's an, another story for another time happy birthday hutch by the way uh, uh but to see it go from uh being a published article to having a 2 year run so far it uh it gives me faith in humanity.
0: <laughs> no, I wouldn't go quite that far but yeah, Twitter t- Twitter will remove your faith in humanity that's for sure.
2: Yeah, well, uh, you know. <laughs>
0: Thank you, guys, once again, for being a part of this. Thank you, Bob, for being on the show. And uh, thank you for sticking with us. Even though we were very late tonight, we still went over. But that's just normal for us now. Um, we'll, We'll catch you next time, starting year three on Under the Dome. Good night, everybody.